Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. It's MoneyWeb's weekly podcast where I speak to South Africa's leading investment professionals. Now, our guest today is Rob Spaniard of Resco Asset Management. Rob, welcome to the show. Uh, we are currently seeing extremely volatile markets. Uh, you have been uh, in the hot seat of a fund for more than a decade. Are you concerned right now? Yeah, Rake, we part of our style is always to be concerned. Um, that's really what we we like to make money on the upside. We're not permanently bearish, but we always are trying to manage the downside scenario. Uh, so it's never nice to go down, but our clients have been pretty well protected through it. October, uh, August was an up month for them. The funds ended up, um, which is, is we've been preparing for it. We've been trying to be defensive, which wasn't a popular message a couple of months ago. You go back four or five men- months ago, but it's suddenly, yeah, clients see why you're doing it, so they appreciate it. We've seen a, a market correction and, and an official market correction last year. The market then ran up again to an all-time high. Now we've seen another official correction. Uh, do you think the risk is uh, on the downside, or can we see a repeat of what happened um, last year? You know, Rake, it was, it was Ghazi bought the dip last week or, or got burnt um, on, on Monday the next week, this week. And, and the reason for it is we don't see it just being a, B, a V bottom. What happened last October, you know, one of the, there was one big factor there, that Ebola thing. You know, if you went in there, 45% of Americans believed that they would get Ebola or someone they knew would get Ebola. It was, it was, it was a silly correction. And we certainly bought the dip there. So we used it as a great opportunity to get some stuff cheap. This is more complex. This is much more complex, really, because you've got USA about to be putting up interest rates, and China is worrying the living daylights out of people. China turning negative is scaring investors. So it is an, uh, more an international story, but let's, let's look at those international markets, and let's um, start with China. What do you think will transpire? Is this a short-term uh, problem they have, do you think they can rectify and restore some confidence in that market? You know, I think the Chinese government will get it right eventually. But doing it, you know, the, the, the analogy one often has is riding a tiger. The, the, the Chinese government are riding a tiger, and the tiger's growth, they've got to keep growing this thing. If you get off the tiger, the tiger's going to turn around and eat you. And, and that's, one of the comp- that's one of the difficulties they have. Trying to get ev- managing a, a trans. Uh, transition from a very growth-orientated economy to a consumer economy and at the same time keeping your growth going at 7% is very, very difficult. And what's really shook the market is, you know, the belief was that, that the Chinese government is incredible. You've heard the analogy that the Chinese government is a combination of McKinsey, the CIA, and General Electric in the heyday under Jack Walsh. Um, and that's how they run it. So you've got the best of everything. But how they managed that stock market downturn over the last month has been shocking, and it's shaken the faith of a lot of investors that these guys are not fantastic technocrats. Maybe they're just bureaucrats, and that is scary for scaring investors. Well, in, in which other markets have people, if fund managers and, and journalists being arrested uh, for you know, their contribution to the decline? Well, exactly. That's, uh, so bad news has now become a criminal offense in reporting bad news. And, and it must be make life very easy to then be a, a sell-side analyst. You just put out a positive report. But, but ultimately, you can't fool the market. The market always finds ways to, to, to get around that. And the, 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 some of the belief that they could be bigger than the market smacks of quite high-level arrogance and probably, I might say, stupidity because you can't do that. You, you guys find a way around it.
commanding a market to go up doesn't really work. Well, the current international narrative focuses on the Chinese market as well as on the U.S. interest rates. Do you still think those two, um, you know, uh, themes would uh, influence the market um, to a big extent in in the short to medium term? The market's very worried about U.S. interest rates going up. We we think it's cert- pretty certain it's going to go up in in late in the month in September now. Um, the market's panicking about a quarter of a percent increase, which is, is very, considering interest rates on zero in the U.S., our bigger concern actually in the U.S. is that they should already be at 1%. And, and we think there's trouble coming down the road when inflation starts to creep out the woodwork. We're seeing inflation happening in the U.S., which the market isn't really ready for. But as I say, the market is even panicking about the first quarter percent increase. Just looking at the local market and at your uh, flagship fund, the Resco Value Fund. Um, the Value Trend Fund. The Value so. Trend Fund A, to be precise. Um, in your asset allocation table, you indicate that you do not own any commodities. Um, I think it's the first time I've seen on a fact sheet that uh, somebody says they don't invest in a particular sector um, but the commodity sector has been um, seen as a sector that offers value what is your perception of the sector and the potential growth opportunities there yeah so the fund isn't a traditional value fund it's a fund we see value where we can buy growth cheaply that's our determinant of value uh, we want growing companies that we're getting we're getting that growth cheap um, the commodity thing is is a we just don't see the value we'll, we've bought some physical platinum now we see physical platinum is actually starting to be quite interesting so we are owning that now and and the, the commodity producers we just see that's that's a super cycle that's unwinding uh, we had this fantastic run up in in commodity prices over many years that's going to take a while to unwind so we're just not finding the value when we look at the bulletins the anglos the platinum producers there's not value there yet. If you if you look what they're going to earn, they're not going to make the profits. A company like Glencore, um, which is a bit more diversified, do you see value there? The problem with Glencore is the amount of gearing they got in that business. And it's quite opaque what you're really getting and exposure to commodity prices. Their trading side does make them more protected, but we wouldn't, we're not happy with Glencore at these prices. Are you seeing value uh, in, in other sectors on the JSE? There's more value than there was two weeks ago, um, clearly, but it's still not back. If you look at our, our price-earnings ratios are almost exactly the same as the developed markets. Uh, traditionally, that shouldn't be the case. Most emerging markets are about 20% cheaper on a price-earnings basis. So we technically could fall another 20% to get back to historical relationships with developed markets. And so we still see some downside on our market. The RAND has uh, devalued quite substantially um, in recent months, um, but we haven't seen the RAND hedges really, uh, you know, hedging that devaluation. Do you see a a new risk profile in the JSE or do you see the the, the weaker RAND um, create some opportunities that uh, wasn't there uh, a few months ago? There always are places that the weak RAND does help, but the problem are are exporters are far, far and few between. Uh, and most of our exporters are commodity companies where the, the prices are going down faster than the rand is depreciating. So it's hard to really make money. Um, I guess at certain prices, Sassel becomes very interesting. That's, that is a good company. We think there's a bit of work still to do there. Um, and and we, how we're protecting our, our clients is we be, we've got quite a bit of locally listed 
uh, foreign property, British property, so we they get a nice yield and they're protected on the currency on that. So we've got to redefine international capital and counties um, and and into mm. that that are giving them some protection there. Mm. Are you currently buyers or sellers in the in the equity market? We we we've neither we we've sold um, we've got really low equity exposure, total exposure, including our offshore, is at only at about 40%. Now, that's a fund on average. we close to 70% over the year. 67% is a long-term average. So that tells you where we've we've just taken protection and just waiting out a bit. But we're not buying at these levels. But we've sold a while ago. Mm. What did you do with the cash? Kept it in cash. We've got a money market. You know, you can get... Uh, 7.2, 7.4 on money market instruments with no interest rate uh, risk. Right now, a year ago, 7.2 seemed horrible. Right now, annual return 7.4. You can live with that for for a short period of time. Eh? Let's look at the the top ten shareholdings um, you have, um, and there are a few interesting companies here, or a few interesting omissions. Um, you are invested. Uh, Discovery is your biggest investment. Um, and then Mondi and uh, Redefine, a, a property counter. Uh, wh- why Discovery, first of all? Uh, what is so attractive uh, about that company? What we like about Discovery, the local business is probably slightly expensive for what you're getting. They've got a great British business. But the fantastic thing in Discovery is the, some of the offshore operations, which down the line they've got their, their, their partnership with Ping An in China for for health insurance. We believe that's going to be that could be another what ten cent is to Naspers. I've actually taken a bet with with the management that in three years' time it can be bigger than the whole of Discovery. It doesn't have to get there to justify what we think of Discovery, but it's potentially very very valuable. The interesting thing in China, what a lot of people don't realise, is that you've got government hospitals. That's fantastic, but you have to pay to get an operation done. You've got to pay in seventy eighty percent yourself. Uh, the government wants you to insure it yourself. And Discovery are in partnership with Ping N are the biggest in that area, and it's growing very, very fast. And the problem is you get four Chinese grandparents to one grandchild. Um, that's a difficulty. Your grandkids aren't going to pay for your operation. So health assurance is something that's going to really grow in China. But you know what? We are getting it for free. We don't have to. We don't, we're not paying for it in the share price. Same as some of the other joint ventures around the world, we're getting it for free. We love it when we get something for free in a share that we're not paying a lot of money for. Mm. Very interesting. Some of the omissions that are interesting, the Naspers, uh, Richemont, uh, Steinhoff, uh, why, are you not, uh, why are they not some of your top counters? Yeah, Naspers is a fantastic company, brilliant company. We're just way too expensive for us. We don't like very expensive companies because as you saw what happened yesterday to, to Mr. Price, another brilliant company which we owned a while back, um, but when, you, when you're sort of a 30, 30 times earnings, you make the smallest hiccup and you have a share price down 30%, 13% on a day. Uh, similar with, with we, we just, that's why we don't like to hire, to own companies that are just ridiculously expensive. The other problem we have is that, you know, Apple's 4% of the S&P uh, and that's the biggest company in the world. Nuspass is 12% of the R index. Uh, you to most of the most of the, probably eighty percent of the ten cent struck Naspers a shell the base of foreign to them it's a speculative Chinese internet company it's not ten percent of their portfolio so you've got a mismatch in ownership 
and, and allocation there. So it's a great company, but your potential volatility is very, very high. And secondly, we just don't like to – we don't like companies that are north of 25 PEs. Are you, do you regard yourself uh, as contrarian? We don't aim to be contrarian, um, but what we do is we, we, we're not interested in what the index is. So we will never we – in, we, we we'll never, you'll never hear internally in our business underweight this or overweight that. If we like something, we own it. So we tend to have much fewer shares in our portfolio. We would have 15, 20 local shares, not 60. Uh, we either like something or we don't like it. Just looking at some of your international holdings, you have Citibank and Bank of America, which are pretty well known, but they also are pretty well invested in Palco, a, a Japanese retailer. Why, why that company? Pal's a company we came across a couple of years ago after they had the, the earthquake, Fukushima earthquake and tidal wave. Um, and we found a great re- emerging retailer, which is always interesting for, for a number of reasons. And we bought, we could buy it at, at the cash that was on the balance sheet. Business, growing business, and you're pretty much paying what's cash in the bank. Uh, while we like an emerging retailer, when, like if you see Mr. Price early days, which we owned for many years, as they start to do well, they start to get much better rentals from landlords, much better positions. Their rent cost comes down, and they very quickly are covering the costs of things like distribution centers can afford advertising budgets. So that's a nice place to be. And as I said, it was very, very cheap. Just coming back to, to the fund, um, there are uh, there's about uh, $3 billion invested in the fund. Um, and the latest CISA numbers uh, do show that there is a, a good inflow into the fund. Um, but that, that is part of the theme. There's a lot of uh, money flowing toward multi-asset funds. Uh, how, how do you foresee this fund flow? Do you think it's sustainable that you see these inflows? You know, multi-asset funds, for a couple of reasons, really do well for, for investors. You know, the, 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 and there are also a lot of fl- flows for that reason. The one is you don't have a capital gain stack. The asset manager, in reallocating the portfolio, there's not a capital gain stack problem for the underlying client. And secondly, the person who should be paid to do the asset allocation is, in fact, the asset manager. Guys are trade, they put a lot of money, they're supposedly trained to do it. That's what we got. We got to own that, that responsibility, which asset class to be in. And, and there's some asset allocation managers who do that very, very well, uh, when to be in the market and when to be out the market. And, and that's what people are, are actually recognize a good, good place to be here. The TER ratio, the total cost um, you know, investors would pay to invest in the fund is just over 2%, which seems to be in the middle of the range of multi-asset funds, ranging from up to th- more than 3% down to about 1.5%. How important is that ratio to you, uh, and, and how does it influence investors' decisions to invest in the fund? You know, investors are very cost-conscious now. They, they, it's very important to them on costs, and we, we recognize that. Funny enough, the fund is actually a very low-cost fund. And, and I know we say with a 2TR, two, two that might not be the case. But the, what you are looking at there is the worst class, the most expensive class that is investors coming direct. We don't encourage a lot of direct investors. Really, we don't see ourselves as admin uh, people. We'd much rather investors came through the platforms. If they come through the large platforms, um, they get a much better price than that. So that we're burning ourselves with that number for starters. And secondly, there's performance fee. We have been earning performance fee. The fund is beating the overall index, which is a very tough benchmark by more than 10% at the moment over the last year. 
So we would be earning performance fee, and that's going to make our TER look, look higher. But the basic fee is actually very low. The, the, the fund has performed really well. Um, it has beat the, the JSC All Share Index over the last uh, 10 years, um, and uh, it has beaten the, uh, the CISA benchmark comfortably. Um, how important is that to investors? Are you, you know, a lot of people do com- make the comparisons, um, but do you find investors in your, your fund to be quite educated in the, the p- performance statistics? You know, a lot of, most of our, our investors are advisors. Um, investing their clients' money, and they are very educated, and and they appreciate what we're doing there. Our benchmark is very tough. It's the overall index. You've got to beat the overall index, and you can only invest 75% to do that. So that's a tough benchmark, and the fact that we've beaten the overall index over 10 years pretty consistently, guys do appreciate that, and the performance fee is only paid if we can beat that index. Um, which is a it's a tough ask. It's a it's a tough hurdle to do. And and, and with this, our our clients are fairly sophisticated, and and they realise they appreciate the value of what we're doing. Secondly, the, the that we managed to do it with much lower drawdowns. So we're getting the upside, but we're not have, we're not participating in the downside. So like this recent crack in the market, as I said, we're still up for the month. Of, of August. A very interesting trend is that during the 2009, you know, a crash or a significant correction, uh, your fund actually performed much better than the market. How did you achieve that and how, does, how relevant is that in the current environment? Yeah, so in, in 2008 crack, we were out for, we, we actually made it, we were up for, for that year, which was quite, not a lot of funds were that. And we did it by really actively allocating the assets. So we were, at the beginning of the year, we saw a fair amount of trouble and we started to move towards cash. And as the trouble developed, we increased the cash component. So we'll actively manage that downside protection. That's really what we're trying to do is get risk-adjusted returns. Our our motto as a company is preserving capital, creating wealth. And we take both sides of that very, very seriously. Uh, so through this recent crack, it's a very similar thing, the same characteristics of of big down, uh, drawdowns, we're not having them. And you're doing this uh, currently again. I, I see that your money market and, and bond exposure is around 55% of the fund. Yeah, and it's actually, the, the, obviously with the late, that's, uh, uh, new fact sheets are coming out next couple of days. We're actually sitting at about 60% in cash. And that's really because of trouble. We, we've seen a bit of trouble coming. We've been preaching that message to our investors for a while, this, here comes trouble. Um, so we'll be sitting in a lot of cash. Eh? Thank you, Rob. That was Rob Spaniard of Resco Asset Management.